This morning's message is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. And the title for this morning's message is Pray for Love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. And the Word of God says this to us this morning. For if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that as we begin to walk through these three verses that are so packed with meaning and biblical truth that we need to comprehend and to embrace and to apply to our lives. And so, Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would you would teach us your word. We pray that you would convict us of the truths that are written here. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you would enable us to apply these truths to our lives and to live them out so that we might bring you great glory and honor and praise in the whole of our lives, in every aspect of our life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> as, we, uh, as we prepare to walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, this is one of the most, chapter 13 is one of the most loved and uh, well-known chapters in, in all of Scripture, uh, probably only second to Psalm 23, uh, particularly verses 4 to 7. Uh, those are often cited. Uh, you know, the definition of love, love is patient, love is kind. Those verses I have uh, seen often cited at, at weddings. I've, I've been to a wedding where it was actually written on the uh, various uh, plates and napkins and cups. And it was just sort of uh, everywhere. And, and for good reason, right? For good reason. Because this is the quintessential definition of love. This is what love looks like, or at least those verses, verses 4 to 7, we understand that this is what love should look like. And that is because this is the love of God. This is what God's love looks like. Love is a very important attribute of God. In 1 John Chapter 4, verse 8, for example, Scripture tells us God is love. God is love. This is 
an extremely important statement to, to really wrap our minds around because John does not say that God is the source of love. He does not say God is the definition of love. He does not even say God is loving. He says God is love. Love is what defines God. Love is what defines who God is. Now it's true that holiness in Scripture is the only attribute of God that is ever raised to the third level. We see that in both Isaiah 6.3 and in Revelations, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, we are told there that God is holy, holy, holy. And there is no other attribute in all of Scripture, there's no other attribute of God that is ever raised to the third level. The Bible never says, for example, that God is love, 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 or that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. However, holiness is an incommunicable attribute of God. In other words, true holiness is not something that we can fully comprehend. Only God, only God is holy, holy, holy. But if holiness is the most significant, incommunicable attribute of God, then I would argue that love is the most significant, communicable attribute of God. Because we can all understand love. We've all experienced love to some degree. We love others and there are people that love us. <coughs> Thus, I would argue that love is the most significant communicable attribute of God. This is because, or I say that because love is what God commands and it is what God demands of His people in both the Old Testament and the New if you were to ask any devout Jewish person what is the greatest commandment in, um, in the Torah, he would very likely give you the same answer that Jesus gave, being a good Jew himself, when he quoted the Shema. And he quotes the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus rightly stated that this was the first and great commandment. In other words, in the Old Testament, what God desired... Throughout the Old Testament, what God desired most from His people is not obedience. It's not sacrifice. It's love. Because that command is found in many other places in the Old Testament. God commanded the nation of Israel to love God with the whole of their heart, the whole of their lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, we see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. And yes, God desires and commands obedience. Don't misunderstand. 
God commands and desires obedience, but He desires obedience from His people which flows out of a heart that loves Him. A heart that loves and desires to please God. What is of equal significance, I think, and equal importance is that after Jesus cites the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and says this is the first and great commandment, he then says in Matthew 22 verse 39 that a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Citing Leviticus 19, 18. And then he says, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Thus, according to Jesus, the entire Bible, all of special revelation, the entire Bible can all be summed up in these two commandments, love for God and love for for people. In other words, if you want to be obedient to God's word, if you want to live a life that pleases and glorifies God, it all starts with this. Love God and love people. That's where it begins. Because if you love God, if you love God, then you will want to please God. You will want to please God and thus you will scour God's Word so that you might know how to please God. What does God desire of me? What does He want from me? I want to know because I love Him and I want to please Him and I want to live out what God commands. Not out of fear, not out of mere reverence, but out of love. And if you truly love your neighbor, you will want to do what is best for your neighbor. Which means that you will also scour God's word so that you might know what is truly best for my neighbor. What God says is best for my neighbor. And then you will strive to live that out for your neighbor out of love for your neighbor. All of this is driven by love. The Christian life is and ought to be driven by love. It's for this reason Jesus says that love... Love for one another is how the world will know that we are truly his disciples. It's interesting, he doesn't say obedience. He says love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. In the same way to the same extent, to the same degree, Jesus says, that I love you, he says, I want you to love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will know. The world will know that we truly belong to Christ, that we truly have faith in Christ if we have love for each other. But why? Why is love such a big deal for God? Because God is love. God is love. And if God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if God who is love, by the power of the Holy Spirit, indwells us and envelops us, then we should be people of love. Right? Our behavior, our lifestyle, our church should be defined and marked by love. Genuine love. This is why the first half of that verse from John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You cannot possibly know God is what John is saying. You cannot possibly know the God of love. You cannot possibly be indwelt and enveloped by the God of love if you don't love people. If you are not a loving person, John says, you don't know God. Now, it is really important to note that Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He did not say, the world will know you are my disciples if you work hard for one another, if you serve one another, if you minister to one another and minister to people outside the church. That's, that's not what he said. And I know we can often think to ourselves, but isn't that, isn't that what love looks like? To work hard for one another, to serve one another, to minister for one another, to sacrifice for one another. Isn't that what love looks like? Well, it may be what love looks like, but that is not what love is. Let me explain. You see, because it is possible, it is possible for people to work hard for others. It is possible for people to work hard for others, to serve others, to minister to others, and not actually love them. Not actually be doing the work from a heart of love, but instead be doing the work, be doing the service, be doing the ministering out of ulterior motives, out of selfish motives, out of selfish ambition. But it is not possible. 
It is not possible for, for someone to truly love God and to truly love people and not work hard for them and not serve them and not minister to them and not sacrifice for them. This is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 verse 9 let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And then ten words later Paul writes this love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Loving someone does not mean simply saying, I love you. Loving someone doesn't simply mean working hard for them or serving them or ministering to them. Loving someone means having genuine, heartfelt affection for them. It means wanting to do what is best for them regardless of what they can do for you. You just want to do what's best for them because you love them and you care about them and because you love God and you want to please God. So then the million dollar question is this. Are we serving God and serving people out of love or out of a sense of duty or some other ulterior motive? Well, that depends on the meaning of love. What is love? How does God define love? What does genuine love, godly love, look like? Well, this is what Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand. Which is why he now turns his attention to the subject of love. The whole first of the last chapter is all about the various gifts and how we're all one body. But now Paul is going to turn his attention to the subject of love because ultimately what Paul wants the reader in Corinth and us to understand is that love is and ought to be the goal of all that we do. Love should be the goal. More important than any spiritual gift that we might pray for, more important than any talent or ability or sacrifice that we might offer, is love. And so toward that end, Paul now begins by explaining that the gifts or the talents that we possess, the things that we might do for others does not necessarily mean that we truly love God and that we truly love others. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. You know, it's interesting that, that Paul addresses the gift of tongues first. This is probably because it appears from the regularity with which Paul addresses the gift of tongues 
is that this was a, a gift that was a really big deal in the church in Corinth. It was something that they emphasized a lot. Because in these three chapters, in, in three chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul will mention the gift of tongues 22 times. 22 times in three chapters. He will mention the gift of prophecy in these three chapters only nine only nine times. And each time Paul will say that prophecy is of greater value to the church than the gift of tongues. If you're going to have one or the other, Paul says, I would rather you have the gift of prophecy and not the gift of tongues. So the church in Corinth, like many churches today, very likely placed a very big premium on the gift of tongues. And so Paul takes aim at the gift of tongues first. And so he says, if I am able to speak in the tongue of men and of angels. Wow. The language of men and of angels. That, that would be quite impressive. Whatever language angels might speak. Of course, this verse has led many to think that the gift of tongues is some angelic language because of Paul's reference here. But keep in mind that Paul is using hyperbole in these three verses to make a point. We know that because of what he says in verse 2. He says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... No one with the gift of prophecy understands all mysteries and has all knowledge. There is nothing they do not understand. They don't suddenly become omniscient. Paul is using hyperbole to make a point. And I believe he is using hyperbole in verse 1 as well because I believe the gift of tongues is an intelligible human language. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak in a language that has not been previously learned, such as at Pentecost. And so in using hyperbole, Paul is saying, if I could speak, if it were possible for me to speak even in other languages or in some angelic language, whatever language angels may speak... No matter how amazing or impressive that might be, Paul says, if I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, Paul says that regardless of what gift, regardless of what gift you might have, regardless of what incredible talent or ability you might have, regardless of how smart or, or educated you might be, without love, you will be extremely limited in your usefulness to the church or the degree of impact that you will make in the lives of others. You see, because a gong or a cymbal by itself can still strike a note it can still hit the, the, the tone for which it was created. But by itself, it's, it's not very useful. You certainly wouldn't want to try to put on an entire concert for someone with just one gong. 
or one symbol. That would get boring very, very fast. A gong or a symbol is only really useful when it is brought alongside other instruments. When it is a part of a larger group, a larger body, as it were, and contributes to the whole and makes music. And so Paul's point is that you might really be talented. You might be very gifted. You might be super smart. But if you don't truly love people, if you don't truly love God with all of your heart, with all of your might, and with all of your soul, then whatever good you think you are doing, you are obviously doing it for selfish reasons. And eventually, doing good for selfish reasons will come back to bite you. And even if it doesn't come back to bite you, if you are not serving others out of genuine love for them, out of genuine love for God, then you are really just using those individuals to feel good about yourself, to soothe your own guilty conscience, to boost your own self-esteem, or to forward your own personal agenda. And so that's Paul's first point. Is that without love, your usefulness to the church will be extremely limited. His second point from verse 2. His second point from verse 2. Is that love, without love, you're wasting your life. Without love, you are wasting your life. Look at what he says there. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing, Paul says. Without love, in other words, my life is pointless. My life is meaningless. I am wasting my life if I don't possess genuine love for other people and genuine love for God. Why? Because if you don't genuinely love people, then you don't genuinely love God. And remember what John writes again in 1 John 4.8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In other words, you are lost. If you don't truly love people, then you don't actually love God, which means that you are lost and without a Savior. You are not in a personal, covenantal, salvific relationship with God, even though you may think you are, if you don't actually love people. And then John goes on to say, just a few verses later, in 1 John chapter 4, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother... He is a liar. Wow, that is strong language. He is a liar. He is lying 
to himself and he is lying to other people. Why does John say that? He goes on to say, For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And that makes sense, right? If you can't have genuine love for people that you can see with your own eyes, that you can see struggling in life, that you can see need help, that you can see need encouraging, that you can see need ministering to. If you can't have genuine love for people that you can see, how can you possibly love God whom you have never seen? Who's invisible? Thus, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 13 too is that whatever gifts and talents and abilities you might have or think you have, if you don't have love, if you don't truly love people, then you're wasting your life. You are wasting your life because if you don't love people, then you don't actually love God. You're deceiving yourself if you say that you love God, but don't give a flip for people. You may be doing things for people. You may be serving people. You may be ministering to people. But if you are serving people out of selfish motives, selfish ambitions then you don't actually love people and you don't actually love God. You're just serving yourself. Which means what? It means you're wasting your life. This is the point that Jesus taught to one of the rulers of the Pharisees in Luke chapter 14. He was invited to the home of a Pharisee for dinner. And while there, Jesus says to him in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, he says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, Jesus says, invite people who have nothing to offer in return simply because you love them and you care about them. Abilities, talents... Gifting, spending your time and money on church ministry is meaningless if you don't have genuine love for people and love for God. Paul's third point in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. Paul's third point is this. It doesn't matter what you do or how much you serve 
or how much you are willing to give or sacrifice, you will have no reward in this life or in heaven if it is not done out of love for people and love for God. Notice verse 3. If I give away all that I have, if I give away all of my possessions, all of my money and wealth to the poor, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I am willing to die a martyr's death even and be burned at the stake, but have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing, Paul says. Not in this life, not in the next life. All of my sacrificing for people, all of my sacrificing for the church gains nothing if it is not done out of love. Love for God and love for people. Why? Because if it is not being done out of love for people, then why is it being done? Why is this sacrificing being done if not being done out of love for people? It must be for themselves. In some way, it must be for themselves. For selfish motives, selfish ambition, to look good to others, to feel good about ourselves, to soothe our own guilty conscience out of a sense of legalism, hoping that all of my good deeds will somehow earn me access into heaven. And those who do that, those who sacrifice their time, their wealth, their energy, even their own life, will have no reward. Let's not forget the frightening warning that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. There Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is the will of God the Father who is in heaven? Love God and love people. On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people who will say at the day of judgment, look at all that we did in your name. Look at all that we sacrificed for you. Look at all that we gave. Look at all that we donated. Look at all of the time that we sacrificed for you, Lord God. And they will be in for a rude awakening. Because Christ will say, it wasn't done out of love. It wasn't done out of love for me. And it wasn't done out of love for people. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. For I never knew you. And I know some might think to themselves, but even those who give their lives as martyrs? 
My friends, sadly, there are thousands of Muslims all over the world who give their lives as martyrs. Thinking that somehow this is going to gain them a reward. When in the end they will realize it has gained them nothing. Because it's not done out of love. Not done out of love for their neighbor. And it's not even done out of love for Allah. The concept of loving Allah is foreign in the Islamic religion. It's all about obedience. It's about works. It's about doing. I believe this can be true of those who profess to be Christians. They might be driven to become missionaries to a hostile country. Not because they have a love or compassion for the people who live in that country, but because they want others, maybe, to think more highly of themselves. They hope that maybe they will be remembered in history and others will write books about them. Or maybe it just sounds like an exciting thing to do. I've read missionary books. Sounds exciting. I want to do this. But if they become missionaries to a hostile country and they die a martyr's death and none of it was driven by a genuine love and compassion for those people and for God, Paul says, they will gain nothing. They will have no reward. Not in this life, and not in the next life. My friends, this is why Jesus said the first great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And then he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says on these two commandments, depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you want to keep all of the commandments of God, if you want to live a life of obedience to God, if you want to live a life that glorifies and honors God, then do this. It's this simple. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. And you know, that's what we should pray for. As Christians, so often we pray for humility. We pray for wisdom. We pray for patience. We pray for strength. We pray for encouragement. We pray for sanctification. And those are all good things to pray for. But all of those kinds of prayers, all of those prayers can really be summed up in this. Pray that God will help you and enable you to love Him fully. To love God with everything that is within you. And pray that God will help you and enable you to love people truly. To truly have an affection for people. To truly love them. Because if you truly love God, and if you truly love people, 
then you will naturally want to be patient with them. You will want to be kind to them. You will want to display humility toward them and to put them first and to put yourself last. Because that's what love does. That's how love behaves. And that's what Paul will actually talk about in the next passage. That this is what love does. When we truly love God and we truly love people, in the next section, in verses 4 to 7, Paul will then explain, this is what love does. But the message from these three verses is this. If you're going to seek after something in the Christian life, if you are really going to pray hard for something in the Christian life, what Paul is communicating to the readers then and the readers now is don't pray for some spiritual gift like tongues or prophecy or miracles or any of that. Pray for love. Pray that God would help you and enable you and give you a heart that truly and fully and utterly loves God supremely with all that is within you and pray that God will give you a heart to truly love other people. Because if you can do that, everything else will flow naturally out of a heart that loves God and a heart that loves people. Let's pray. My gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a loving church. Lord, we pray for every member of this church, for everyone who is here. Father, myself included, we pray that you would give us a heart that genuinely and fully loves you more than anything in this world. Loves you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength and soul. That our greatest desire in life is to know you, to please you, to be like Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would give us a heart that genuinely, truly loves other people. Our spouse, our children, our friends, our co-workers, the lost who are outside this building, and especially for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because Lord, if we can truly love you and we can truly love others, the whole of Scripture hangs on these two commandments. Help us, Lord God, to truly love. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.